ಚಿತ್ತದೇನ ವಾಚಾ ಮಲಂ ಶರೀರ ವೈದ್ಯಕೋಪಕರೋತ್ತರ ಮುನೀನಾಂಜಲಿ ಪ್ರಾಂಜಲೀರಾನಸ್ಮಿ almost in the last portion of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra of the eight limbs of the yoga the ashtanga yoga the first five has been described in the second chapter dharana dhyana samadhi with that the last three limbs of yoga will be taken up in the third chapter the vibhuti pada those three together constitutes sangyama a technical term in yoga when we study the start studying the third chapter we will uh, try to understand that what's the meaning of sangyama which constitutes the last three limbs of yoga namely dharana dhyana and samadhi so in the last class we were studying pranayama the fourth limb and just in the end we just gave the literal meaning of the 54th sutra which defines pratyahar the fifth practice in short to recapitulate the pranayama as has been described in yoga that we should remember that the pranayama in yoga is different from the pranayama in hatha yoga patanjali yoga and hatha yoga are not the same in hatha the word hatha means by force so in hatha yoga the kumbhaka is something which we do almost by force in patanjali yoga sutra they speak of three actually four types of pranayama inhalation followed by suspension natural suspension when we are breathing naturally we will find that between each inhalation and exhalation there is a suspension and again from between the exhalation and the inhalation there is a suspension so inhalation followed by that natural suspension is one pranayama exhalation followed by that suspension is the second pranayama now when i start practicing that breath has something to do something to do with the calmness of the mind and when the breath is sustained the mind also calms down so when i start the natural rhythmic breathing that's what with which we start the pranayama we will find the mind starts calming down this two goes hand in hand as the mind calms down the breathing in and the breathing out both becomes more and more subtle in the yoga they give an indication that how subtle it becomes with the calming of your mind that if you hold some cotton near the nostrils you will find it's not moving it has become so subtle so with the calming down of the mind naturally you will find that the breathing in and the breathing out both are becoming subtle 
and the suspension is getting prolonged. So this goes hand in hand with the calming down of the mind. This kumbhaka, which has been spoken of in Hatha Yoga, happens something naturally in the Yoga Sutras, in the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, the pranayama which has been spoken of there. It happens naturally. That's why we find that even when someone uh, went to Holy Mother and asked her about the pranayama, so the pranayama, most of the people mean the Hatha Yoga pranayama. Holy Mother immediately discouraged that person, told you just concentrate your mind. You try to do japa, meditation. The more your mind gets concentrated, you will find kumbhaka is happening naturally. Thereby, that there is no harm when it is happening naturally. Because with the calming down of your mind, the, all the bodily activity slows down. The metabolism slows down. And then there is no question of starvation of your brain. When I forcefully stop my breath, it gives a euphoric sensation. Why? Because it is with the breath, the oxygen is carried to the brain. The brain doesn't have the capacity to store energy, which comes from air, which comes from food. So whatever is carried by the blood, immediately it is utilized and it is spent off. It cannot store. So when I sustain my breath, what happens? The brain immediately starts starving of oxygen. At the beginning, it gives a euphoric sensation. Why? That the, the monkey mind suddenly I find because of that starvation has calmed down. The mind which never calms down, comes down because of that forceful suspension of breath, because of the starving of the brain, because of the lack of oxygen. And that gives a euphoric feeling. And some gets addicted to that, not knowing that gradually they are harming their own brain. The brain cell starts dying off with that starvation. And at last, it may result in derangement of the mind. So Kumbhaka in Hatha Yoga is not that it is totally discouraged. It has to be done, if at all it has to be done, under the guidance of a guru who is already skilled in the Hatha Yoga. Under his minute observation, it has to be done. No one should try to sustain the breath forcefully without such proper guidance. The safest way is what has been spoken of in the Patanjali Yoga Sutra. It actually speaks of a regular rhythmic breathing, which naturally becomes subtler. The breathing in and breathing out becomes subtler as the mind calms down. When a person is in Samadhi, almost there is no breath. So when Sri Ramakrishna used to go in Samadhi, there was no sign of life. The doctors came and touched the eyeball. There was no reaction. That's the, even in a man who is in sleep, reacts when you touch the eyeball. But when the total sensation has been taken off because of intense absorption in Samadhi, we have, it was found that doctors have 
checked that there is no sensation. Even the heartbeat stops. So there's no as if expression of life. So that happens naturally when the mind goes to that state, the metabolism has slowed down so much that the body as if enters into a state of hibernation. In lower animals, it can be seen. In the amphibians, the cold-blooded animals, what happens in the winter, they, as their body doesn't have the capacity to maintain the heat, just as the external temperature falls, their body temperature starts falling. So you will never find these amphibians or the reptiles in the winter. You can be safe about it outdoors. The snakes, the fear of snakes is only in the summer. In the winter, the snakes won't come out because they're cold-blooded. And now what they do, they hibernate. Almost they will appear as if they're dead. But when again the summer comes, there's life. They again come back to life. They spring back to life. So in yoga, when you're going to this samadhi, that it, it, you become as if like a hibernating creature. You start hibernating. All the activity stops. The breathing becomes more and more subtle. And that's a natural way. Then there is no question of any harm. So what's the thing in, uh, we have to practice in asana? That these are the very basic practice, but very important. We should never try to just go for higher meditation without taking care of this. That asana, I have to sit straight, but relaxed. The spine should never be bent. At the same time, it shouldn't be stretched too much. So that in very short time, you find that your body is strained, is strained, is paining. It should be relaxed, straight. Think of at the beginning, not immediately you start with your meditation. Think of this non-local, uh, this awareness, ananta, that we have seen that in the sutra they speak of, to think of infinity. How to think of infinity? That Sri Ramakrishna gives us an example as if you have become a fish and you are swimming in infinite expanse of ocean without any limit. Or like a bird, in a, like you are flying in the sky. There is no uh, what, restriction which can stop you. Just that gives a sense of infinite, ananta, that your amnes is no more local, is localized just in your body. It is everywhere. This practice makes you stable. Try to help you to, it helps you to remain almost motionless. It is very important in meditation. This a little motion just immediately will bring down your mind. As we were giving that example, the relation between the body and the mind is just like a cup full of water. When the cup is still, the water is still. You move the cup, the water starts moving. A little movement of the body immediately disturbs the mind. They're riveted that way, the body and mind. So in meditation, to sit motionless at the same time relaxed is very vital. And then comes this pranayam. With the breath also, the mind is related. These are all riveted have a very regular and rhythmic, regular rhythmic breathing. Start with a deep breathing. Automatically it will become more and more subtle and the suspension will elongate. 
and the meditation or the calmness of the mind also will be uh, more and more deeper. The more and more your mind will be calm. So when you have done this, then you have developed the capacity of the higher meditation, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. In the 53rd sutra, it was spoken of that you develop the capacity of dharana when you become adept in asana and pranayama. But before going to dharana, there is another practice that is called pratyahara, which was described in the 54th sutra. This the second chapter will end with another sutra, the 55 sutra. This 54 and the 55. These two sutras deal with pratyahara. We will read the sutra and try to have a discussion on these two sutras. As the 54th sutra, sutra speaks of Swa Swa Vishaya Asamprayoge Chittasya Swarupa Anukaraha Eva Indriyanam Pratyahara. So, what it is speaking of? Let us take the word Swa Swa Vishaya Asamprayoge. The five senses have their respective sense objects. With the eyes, I see. With the ears, I hear. With the nose, I smell. With the tongue, I taste. And with the skin, I have the touch, sense of touch. Asamprayog, when you detach your sense organs from the sense objects. Samprayoga means to connect. Asamprayoga means to detach. When you can really detach, then what happened? This each and every sense organs become, take the nature of the mind. Chittasya Swarupa Anukara. The sense organs as it were. That evil word is there. Chittasya Swarupa Anukara Eva. The sense organs can never become the mind. But why it is been told that as it were, it has become like mind? Just like when the mind, when the sense organ is calm, it is not detached from the objects. The mind is calm. So the mind is something like inert, appearing apparently like inert, calm. It is not having any thoughts. And the sense organs are also calm, inert. So that way, both becomes something of similar nature. So that's being mentioned, that's being indicated by Chittasva Swarupa Anukara Eva. The, when the mind is calm, the sense organs get detached from the, all the sense objects. And the vice versa, when the sense organs becomes detached from the sense objects, the mind gets calm. And this is what known as Pratyahara. Pratyahara, restraining of the mind. Pratyahara. Ahara means, see the words are so important. Ahara. In Sanskrit, ahara, generally we say food. What is food? Something which we take, which we feed for our nourishment. But the actual word ahara means whatever is gathered in. Aharyate iti ahara. All the objects which I am gathering in through my eyes in the form of vision is ahara. What I am hearing, that is also I am gathering in. That is also ahara. The external object which I am tasting, that also is ahara. What I am smelling, that also is ahara. What I am touching is ahara. It is not just the food. All the sense objects which I am, through which 
the external world is being as if perceived, is gathered in, is ahara. Pratyahara. Pratyahara means to stop that, to restrain that, to detach that. No more ahara. This pratyahara is in another word can be spoken of as ahara shuddhi, purification of what you are taking in. There are Pratyahara can be understood with the Mahatma Gandhi's that simile of three monkeys. One monkey is closing the eyes, another the ears, and another the mouth. They are just with the hands, one is has shut their mouth, one has closed their, one has closed its ears, and another has closed its eyes. What it indicates that you shouldn't see the evil here. Anything evil, speak something evil. Pratyahara, the same idea that your sense organs is being getting detached from the sense objects. That's the first thing for calming down of the mind. But very interesting. It's not total stopping. I can, that there are two ways. I can try to stop totally or I can try to gather in only those things which are suitable for my spiritual practice. If I'm in a shrine, seeing the beautiful image, smelling the incense, see all the sense organs are used. I'm seeing, I'm smelling, and I have that consecrated food as the prasada. So all the sense organs are utilized. That also can become pratyahara. What? In Switzerland, our Ranganathanji says that he saw the same three monkey, but instead of closing both the eyes, one eye is closed, another eye is open. One ear is closed, other ear uh, is open. Half of the mouth is closed, half is open. What that? That I won't see evil, but I will see the thing which is good for me. I won't hear evil, but the other ear is open for to hear the thing which is good. Half of the mouth is closed, I won't speak evil. But yes, the other half is open so that I can always discuss about something holy. So I can totally restrain or I can direct my mind in something which is beneficial for my spiritual journey. So in both the ways, I can this practice this pratyahara. So, so when I, so there's the word, that there's the sutra, what it means actually, when that as we have already told, that when the sense organs is detached, the mind comes down and the sense organs takes the nature of the mind. Both are calm. Both are apparently inert. That's why the mind, it has taken the nature of the mind has been told. In the Vyasa Bhashya, Vyasa gives the example of queen bee. When the queen bee is flying, all other bees will be following it. The moment it sits down and rests, all will rest. So the mind is like the queen bee and the sense organs are like the other bees. The mind comes down, the sense organs are bound to be detached. When the mind is active, the sense organs immediately starts getting hooked up with the sense objects. So these two always go hand in hand. Why in this sutra, these two has been spoken of so specifically just to avoid 
repression or forceful suppression. Pratyahara doesn't mean forceful suppression. Sometimes some of the things, uh, sense objects, lures me, drags me. But because most probably the society doesn't approve it. Or uh, the one whom, on whom my relations are dependent, I am depending on my relations and certain things are not approved. So though I am being forced by, dragged by the sense objects, I forcefully restrain because I don't want to spoil my relations. I don't want to get uh, totally uh, detached from the society, boycotted by the society. So there is a question of forceful suppression is there. That is not pratyahara, that is harmful. In psychology, we say, they always say suppression is harmful. Yes, suppression is harmful. In pratyahara, what has been spoken of is actually sublimation, not suppression. Suppression. That's why the mind has been brought into picture. The mind, the mind has to be calmed down and naturally the sense of organs gets detached from the sense objects. As in the Bhagavad Gita, it has been told that the total reflex changes, stimuli uh, response conditioning changes. At present, if there is some stimuli outside in the form of sight, sound, touch, I am drawn out. That's the response. Whenever a stimuli is there, I get dragged out. But when I get established in Pratyahara, just the opposite thing happens. As in the Bhagavad Gita, it has been indicated with an example of a tortoise. When the tortoise is in danger, its limbs are withdrawn as drawn in. And however, you may, you may just go on hurting it. Even if it dies, it's not going to bring out its limbs. It withdraws its limbs within its shell. So here, that's, see, the same thing has been spoken of. This is pratyahara, to gathering in. When you find that the objects of the world is there to distract you naturally through practice it has become so spontaneous that instead of being drawn out it gets drawn in so that's the thing which has been spoken of as pratyahara so for this practice of pratyahara two things are important indifference to the external world and you must become adept in living in the world of thought close your eyes that uh, get your seat in a silent place. Don't resort to just listening to something which is apparently pleasant. All the sense organs are detached. And not only that, when I detach, immediately my mind should have, have something to dwell upon. So you have to live in the world of thought, some sublime thought, some divine thought. If you find that uh, this, you have the question whether God is there or not, in the Yoga Sutra you will find is quite liberal. They told, okay, have you ever visited a place of beautiful scenery? Forget about God. Why not just sit down and try to ruminate just the way the cow won't be taking the entire food immediately. Whatever it takes, it remains, it chews the cud, it ruminates, it's there. Slowly it will go on just eating it. Uh, even when it is not feeding on the grass, it is still there. It is chewing the cut. It re ruminates. 
it will be there for a long time. So in spiritual life, this ruminating is very important. In all the religious traditions, there is the tradition of going to some pilgrimage. Everywhere it is there. And they say it is extremely helpful in spiritual life. How it helps? Just going to a place physically doesn't help. The real help is once you visit, they say even once you visit, it is going to have a profound effect in your life. How it affects? Once you have visited that place, that holy place, and you try to get tuned with the vibration when you are there, throughout your life, when you come back, throughout your life, that's the memory which is supposed to be vivid in your mind. And naturally, the sound, the sight, the smell, the taste, whatever you had there, they are something sublime. And when you are visualizing, you're ruminating, you're chewing the cud, your mind automatically gets detached from the gross things of life, from the things which depresses you. So that's how the Tirtha, this going to for pilgrimage, is has been prescribed in all the religions. So all the Indriyas gets what you say makes the experience, contemplation more intensive. It becomes a lifelong treasure. So this is the thing, living in the world of thought. Either I can just go to that mindfulness, just totally stop the mind. But I may find sometimes that it is very, very difficult just to be without any thought. It may appear to many as something dry, not very interesting. Okay, then let me resort to some thought. Why not resort to some holy thought, good thought? The image I have seen, this image of a meditative Buddha, the image of Christ, the image of that full of the, 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 the love emanating from the image of Krishna, whatever it may be, compassion from the face of Rama. I just that meditate on that sublime that experience which I had when I was in the Tirtha. The nice fragrance, the nice that aesthetic, all the buildings, the, its beauty, that massive uh, churches, whatever it may be that gives a tremendous, it transports you almost. Why not absorb, get absorbed in that? Your senses, you're using your senses. Uh, immediate objects are not there. With the help of your mind, your sense is taking the form of your mind. How? That the thing is not, that this image is no more there in front of you, but you're visualizing, your mind is just visualizing it. So that way your eyes is engaged, still engaged in the form of visualization. So that's how uh, this pratyahara can be practiced. So this, uh, you can this ruminate, you can chew the cud of what you have once experienced and that can bring an intensive contemplation. And that's why visiting the holy places is so important. It remains there in your mind, that impression you should never go there with any sense of just a mere curiosity, just to see what's there, or with a sense of some suspicion, doubt, that why all these people are just behaving in a peculiar way there. With that type of attitude, if I go, it's not going to help me. Just out of curiosity, I should go with Sraddha, with that intense devotion. The more the Sraddha, the more you have that enriched bhava. So that's how the pratyahara can be practiced.
Pratyahara cannot be, but another thing that in the main practice of Pratyahara is that your mind should get attached to something sublime so that the other thing falls off. Now in this, if we just keep the definition limited to this idea, immediately we will find that's what we are doing in the modern age. The children are constantly hooked to the, this, their iPad, their laptop, observing something and forget everything. Is that Pratyahara? No, that is not Pratyahara. That cannot be called Pratyahara. This Pratyahara cannot be practiced unless the habit of intently noticing with your eyes and other senses is given up. It's not the real thing. It's more of that visualizing of some sublime thing. Not something very gross. I can visualize something gross. That's not going to uh, end up in Pratyahara because it will totally make me restless. It has to be something sublime. The snow peaks of Himalayas. Yes, that can be Pratyahara. If you are not very happy with uh, meditating on the form of an image of a divine, why not just uh, try to visualize something sublime in nature? That also can be Pratyahara. So when you are watching TV intently, it is not Pratyahara. So what is the basic difference that you are, when you are watching TV, you are just uh, highly absorbed with some social media, you are the victim of your thought. You are not in the control of your thought. So that's the main thing. So in mental illness, like a schizophrenic, there's something called Capgras syndrome. You know, this Capgras syndrome is very interesting. One day morning you get up, a child gets up and suddenly looking at his mother says, you look like my mother, but you're not my mother. You're an imposter. It's a real disease, very serious disease. And if you take him to the doctor, they will say it is a Capgras syndrome. What has happened? You know that our brain is extremely wired. Our organs, our centers of perception is linked with the emotions. Our centers of emotion where the seeing something, my emotion wells up. These two are connected. Somehow that connection has been disrupted. The emotion is not getting connected with your perception. So she looks like my mother, but I don't, that as the emotion is not welling up, I don't feel that she's my mother, that emotion is not welling up. And then you feel that, oh, she, she's looking like my mother, but most probably she's impersonating as my mother. She's not my mother. And it can be a serious disease. And you may say that's what happened with the yogi. The yogi, by constantly detaching his mind from the objects of our, what you say, this, uh, this attachment, Gradually, we become detached. So isn't it a Capgras syndrome? No. So this is this thing we should remember. We are not victim of our thoughts. We are in control of our thoughts. I have consciously practiced to detach my mind. This becomes a treasure for me. For a person who is diseased, if the cause of the disease is removed, he becomes again the same attached person. He's not that he's going, going to get established in the detachment. But the one who has consciously practiced, he gets rid of all those attachments once for all. And that also with a higher purpose. Means just the way the Sri Ramakrishna is giving an example that how long that you will be, how long you will be a, a small girl plays with the toys. You know, when they're playing with the toy, actually they 
what the what the game is that they are having a family as if they are having a family there is a husband there is a wife all those things with the toys they are playing they are cooking they are so busy that's what they are playing so ramakrishna is saying how long the play with the toys goes on till they are married once they are married they have real husband real children the toys falls off naturally so similarly here when we are speaking of pratyahara it's not that your detachment is a disease state you have got attached to some another dimension of existence so these things has naturally fall has fallen off it's not like the disease states of schizophrenia or capricorn schizophrenia you have uh, you also live in an alternative world you see something which the others are not seeing then uh, in pratyahara by intense visualization isn't it something same no in schizophrenia you are the victim of your thought somehow because of some aberration it has happened for the time being the other things has fallen off but once the disease has gone back it again all the things with your mind with entirety will come back in the yoga sutra in the fourth chapter it starts with this that the mind may get detached and appear to be like in samadhi in high state of spiritual evolution because of some drugs the enter in the uh, when this yoga became very popular in the west the biggest misconception that has happened that the drugs can take us to that state of yoga so many this drug addiction became but in yoga sutra itself it is mentioned that danger this is the uh, this is the danger when we are not studying the scriptures properly little learning is a very dangerous thing this janma aushadhi that by birth because of some defect the detachment may be there aushadhi many say that my child is like ramakrishna that because of some mental problem he has developed some detachment so we are comparing him with ramakrishna and sometimes there are a lot many books which say that yes it is only this uh, that the thing which is in the disease state has happened in this child the same thing through spiritual practice has happened in these spiritual souls they are actually to certain extent deranged that's why we should always understand swami vivekananda always used to say a very interesting thing in this world the opposite poles look alike opposite poles they are extreme poles ultraviolet light you cannot see infrared light you cannot see but are they same both are darkness to me but one is extreme uh, uh, what you say that is high frequency of light ultraviolet it can just uh, burn your skin it can result in skin cancer and as the infrared light which is a very low frequency both i cannot see but they are just diametrically opposite i cannot see the i cannot hear the ultrasonic sound i cannot hear the subsonic sound above 20000 hertz i cannot hear but it can break the glass pane when a supersonic plane is that's why the supersonic plane never goes over a city the airport the, the, the airport which are in a remote place only in those airports the supersonic planes can land otherwise it will just break the glasses so it is so high frequency but i cannot hear subsonic sound i cannot hear the opposite diaptrical opposite poles in this world always look alike when you a ment those who have a little mental aberrations they look like the one who has is an adept in pratyahara but we should know that they are just diametrically opposite one is in control of one's thought he is in the control he is in this he is uh, the one 
who is driving his mind. He is not driven by the mind. So this is the basic difference. Then, then why uh, that with, with this difference, what happens for the one which has happened because of drugs or because of some mental disease or, or because of some uh, defect from the birth itself, Janma, Oshadi, Vyadi, whatever it may be. It has been described in the very first sutra of the fourth chapter. We will come to it. It may appear like that yogic condition. But when those diseased, where the cause of those detachment is removed, as you have not consciously got rid of your ego, the detachment, they all come back. So there's a question of repeated birth doesn't stop there. Your bondage is not stopped, is, is con- going to continue. Though apparently it may appear. For the other, he has consciously detached and is never to come back again. Therefore, once for all, the ego has fallen off and it takes you to the process of prati prasava. In the yoga, these terms will be used. Involution, all the factors which has result in the synthesis uh, formation of my mind, those factors now are no more there. The mind starts falling off, never to come back again, taking you to the ultimate nirvana state. That nirvana means where the mind has fallen off. Parinirvana, for once for all, it has fallen off to, to render you freedom. You know, don't need the crutch called mind for your existence. At present, my amnes is something which is equated with my mind. I say I'm not the body. When I'm saying I'm not the body, I'm saying with my mind that I'm not the bo- I'm not the body. Even when I'm saying I'm not the mind, who is saying it? It is the mind who is saying it. When I say I'm the Atman, who is saying it? It is the mind which is saying it. At present, how, however spiritual, sublime thoughts we may think, it is the mind. At last, that has to fall off. That involution happens. So that happens to the conscious practice of Pratyahara. So that's why this is a very important step before we proceed to dharana, dhyana, samadhi. It speaks of this practice of mindfulness with total detachment. Everything I'm observing, nothing is subjective. Everything is objective, whatever I'm observing. This mindfulness is nothing but objective observation without getting a sense of identity with it. So this is the thing which has been spoken of as the pratyahara. So when you get established in it, Till now we have seen that what the Yoga Sutra was doing, each of the practices first they defined and then they told that the result which ensues once you get perfected in that practice. So here also, the last Sutra of the second chapter, the 55th Sutra speaks of the result that ensues when you get established in the practice of Pratyahara. What happens? Tata Param Vashyata Indriyana. Thereby arises supreme control of the sense organs. Supreme control. It's not that my sense are dragging and with my will I have to just constantly withdraw it. That is a control, but that is not the supreme control. What is the supreme control? That they have fallen off just the way a ripe fruit falls off from the branches of the tree. All the attachment has fallen off naturally. That's the vashya. That speaks of the supreme control of the sense organs. How it happens? Very interesting example has been given in the Vyasa Sutra. 
that suppose a person gets burned by fire. Previously, he have never known the nature of fire. For the first time, seeing the fire, most probably in the winter, seeing the fire, thought of going near it. It was very comfortable. At last, he thought, oh, it's so comfortable. Why not I touch it? And for the first time, he touches and he gets the, his finger gets burned or the body gets burned. Now, will he ever touch the fire? Knowingly, unknowingly, interestedly, or disinterestedly? Never. <clears throat> there are many people who will say, I'm not attached to all these things. Even if when I am with them, they don't affect me. So here the Yoga Sutra is saying, <clears throat> if once you have been burned by the fire, whether it's the question of interestedly or disinterestedly, you'll never be near it. Why should you be near it? Just so it's in the life of Ramakrishna, it's there. One of the disciples one day got some coin in the road. Most probably it has fallen from someone's pocket or someone's bag. So as uh, no one was there to claim that coin, so the devotee picked up that coin and brought it to Dakshineshwar to uh, just uh, or give it as an offering in the offering box. And he told Ramakrishna, that's what I've done. And the immediately Ramakrishna scolded him by saying that if you have detachment for coin, why you have went and picked it up? Why he's saying is very interesting. The moment you pick up, bring and offer it in the pranami box, you may think you have done a very good job. But what has happened? Actually, you have pampered your ego. I have donated. It's not your money. It's not your money, but you have developed, developed a sense of identity, what you have done by picking it up, sense of identity. So in spiritual sense, it is harming. So if you are not attached, it, you are not supposed to be interested in it in any way. You shouldn't touch. That's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. The spiritual journey is very subtle. That he was, he thought that this Ramakrishna will appreciate, but actually he was scolded. That if you are not interested in the money, why should you go near it? So that way, once you understand the nature of the fire, whether you interestedly or disinterestedly, <clears throat> by your own will, or when you are under the influence of others, <clears throat> whatever it may be, I will never get attracted to the fire. I myself will never touch it. Even if someone says, go and touch it, will I touch it? No. In our life, what happens? Why these sutras are indicated, this, when you, uh, these explanations are there in the Vyasa Vashya? Why? That many people say, I have become like King Janaka. I am with the sense organs. I am in a society. I have to socialize. When my mind, my friend says, come, let us have a party, I go. But actually, I'm not attached to it. Does it happen when once you have touched the fire? Whether you are willing or someone instigates, you won't go near it. So once you have understood the nature of the world. You are in no way, whether you are prompted by others or you uh, it's your own will, in no way you are going to go near it. That short of strong will is required. No compromise in any way. And that's why the physical means in spiritual practice, all the physical practices are very important. There was no need for Ramakrishna to just take his salary, that money which was given his salary, which he never wanted, to just mix it with a clod of earth, to just uh, that he took a clod of uh, earth 
cloud of mud and took the money and told that both are same and threw it in the Ganges. It appears that something like uh, there's a crazy uh, thing he is doing. But what this physical thing imprints in your mind. When I have just taken the vow of total renunciation, that's how by physically doing that, that gets imprinted. So that's the idea in Pratyahara. Once you have developed detachment, you will never be near it in any way. There's a nice example. In the, one, of, one of the disciples' life, uh, in the, one of the Ramakrishna's disciples' life, his name is Swami Adbhutananda, Latu Maharaj. He was from a very, very interior village of Bihar, very poor family, illiterate, but he was a very pure soul, got attracted to Ramakrishna and almost forced his master, his master Ramdatta. Sometimes he used to send some goods for his guru Ramakrishna through Latu. Latu was, his, was the servant of uh, Ramdatta. Now that's how Latu is getting, is coming in touch with Ramakrishna. That Ramdatta uh, will be giving his servant Latu some goods to be sent to Dakshineshwar, to his guru. And that's how he came in interaction with Ramakrishna. And he got so attached. One day he told Ram that I will stay with Ramakrishna. Ramdatta told that who will give you salary? He was such a simple boy. He told why you will give. I will stay with him. <laughs> you will give me the money. So he simply was that type of simple boy he was, pure soul. He was so much drawn to Ramakrishna. And when uh, Ramdatta found that Ram, he is so attached to Ramakrishna, that will in a way is good. His guru can get the personal service required. So at last Latu was allowed to stay with Ramakrishna. And now, very interesting. See this in, when in the interior villages where the, the people have to do hard work. There, it's a very common practice. After the 12 the days work in the field, they come back and have some country-made liquor, some alcohol they will have just to relax. It's almost in their blood. Now, Latu Maharaj never had that alcohol. From young, he was a small boy, very pure. But Ramakrishna knew it's in their family blood. He came, came from such background. So what happens, you know, when one day when he was coming from Rambabu's house to Dakshineshwar, Ramakrishna asked him, What's the road, what's the way you take to come to Dakshineshwar? So he told, such and such route I take. Ramakrishna knew there was a liquor shop by the side of the road in one place. There was a liquor shop. And Ramakrishna told, asked him, isn't there there's a liquor shop? Like, yeah. And then Ramakrishna told, you should never come through that road. But this Latuma is a simple soul. Just see this, they have, that's why they evolved spiritually. He took that instruction literally. He never used to go through that road and to avoid that road, he had to just walk another two and a half kilometers extra. But that was what he did. And that speaks of Pratyahara. If you are dis in, means what? So George, just don't say that in my mind, I am detached. If you are detached, you should be no way near it, even physically. That can speak of real spiritual progress in spiritual life. That's the tapasya, no compromise in any way. So. So that's why in Piyasa Bhashya it has been told very nice that once you have touched the fire, will, will you ever be near it? Will you ever touch it? 
neither when you are you, you, you yourself will touch even if someone asks you prompts you you won't touch with any interest there is no question even with disinterest let me touch there is no question i won't be near it so that's the, the param vashyata the nature the sense has automatically fallen off seeing the object of attachment it instead of getting drawn towards it is is actually withdrawn from it this is almost the same example we can give you in a small child you know it happens the iron which is used for pressing the cloths you must have uh, the small child for the first time was instructed never touch that iron and now one day that iron was plugged in and it was kept and the child saw that no one is nearby so it was curious he thought bah let me that all says not to touch why they ask me not to touch let me just touch it it goes and touches that and after that a very interesting thing you will see you need not have to plug in just the, pl- the, the cold iron that which has not been plugged in you just take it near that child it will run away so once it has experienced that how it burns now it will simply even that cold iron and that is pratyara when the thing i know is going to harm me it has instead of attraction it has created a spontaneous repulsion so there is no question of bragging by saying even if i am in its presence it doesn't harm me when you have in spiritual life once you go get descent disinterested you are bound to have that that even that physical aversion to be near it and that speaks of this param vashyata and it will it has, this thing we find this pratyahara how spontaneous it becomes in the life of ramakrishna is a wonderful example he used to say that during my spiritual practice when i consciously renounced wealth now wealth what is wealth it is the coins is a coin which actually uh, speaks of the wealth it's a metal so all the coins which are metal that speaks of wealth so ramakrishna renounced this metal he won't touch metal he won't take food in metal plates he used to take always in banana leaf he will take water in clay uh, these tumblers the dried clay tumblers tumbler so he has renounced the metals and this renunciation became so spontaneous he used to say that even unknowingly if i touch metal my i get terrible pain my hand gets rippled my body gets rippled from it and i get terrible pain swami vivekananda as a young boy narendranath never believed he thought that he is feigning it cannot be true i have to test so one day when ramakrishna was not in his room he kept a coin under the mat mattress the mattress was thin mattress it's not the thick mattress as in the western country if you go to the uh, uh, india and all they will find that very thin mattress is used so below that mattress he kept the coin unknowingly means ramakrishna never knew and now narain was waiting from outside the room he was waiting to see ramakrishna's reaction that he says the touch of the metal gives him terrible pain as if the scorpion has bitten that type of pain he gets to see that whether it's true or he just feigns he just to make a show of his renunciation when ramakrishna after offering pranams to the temples returned to his room and the moment he sat on his cot he jumped up 
had called his nephew Ramlal. Just see, is there anything on the bed? And the coin was found. He told, that's why I felt that it was something must be there. A terrible pain like the scorpion has bitten me. Narendranath was really amazed that if it can really happen, that it is not something which he is feigning. The total stimuli response has totally changed. That the coin through which we are lured, it gives him pain even by mere touch unknowingly. And that's why you will find in the complete works in so many places, Narendranath is defining what's the real education. Real education is not the gathering in of the facts. And that and it just starts a riot in your mind. All those ideas, I don't know what to do with it. Unassimilated ideas. Used to say, just take up one idea, leave it, breathe it, dream it. Let that just pass through your nerves, veins. Let that idea become your, as if your existence. Then that's the real education. Education, that's why I used to say, is the nervous association of ideas. For us, our education is just like in the words of Ramakrishna, we learn nothing. Our experiences doesn't teach us. We once that we get the burn of the fire, we are not supposed to go near it, but throughout our life we find we never learn. As Swami Sharadananda used to say very nice, when someone asked him that what is life, in one line he replied, life is nothing but a chain of experiences. What a nice answer. Life is nothing but a chain of experiences. Immediately the next question was, what's the aim of life? You have told nicely, it's a chain of experiences. And then again, he never spoke of God. What he's telling is something so uh, broad that anyone has to accept. Whether you're a believer in God, whether you're an atheist, what is the aim of life? To learn from those experiences. How wonderful he's saying. We never learn. We just go on doing the same mistake again and again. The same suffering goes on throughout your life. We go never learn. That's why Ramakrishna used to say our condition is just like a camel. We thrive on the thorny bushes. Like a camel, it will eat the thorny bush and it starts bleeding. Its mouth starts bleeding. But it never stops. That's its food as if it will go and thrive on the thorny bushes. We are like camel. Just thriving on the thorny bushes. We bleed and we again go and take. Our education in no way can be is it gets internalized with all our degrees. What Ramakrishna is saying to the education system that there is no internalization. That's why so much corruption, so much crime with all our education. There is no reformation. He used to say our condition is like a vulture. We soar very high up in the sky, but our total attention. You know the vulture is soaring so high in the sky, but from there. It is constantly focused, their attention is focused on the ground, in some pit, in some charnel pit, where the dead carcasses are there, rotten flesh is there. That's its food, that's what on its tribe. So Ramakrishna is saying that with all our education, we soar high like the vultures, but all our focus is on the rotten carcasses. Nothing has been internalized. So this Pratyahara speaks of this Param Vashyata. The things, this with the spiritual sublime truths, which we hear, which we intellectually realize that yes, this is the thing which is harming me, is in no way helping me. What after all, all this drudgery with the sense attachment going to do in my life? Nothing. 
but somehow I cannot come out of it knowing very well like fire it is burning me. So that's what has been told in this sutra. Once you know, knowingly, unknowingly, interestedly, disinterestedly, by your own will or being prompted by others, there is no question of being drawn towards it. And that's what is spoken of as Param Vashyata, supreme detachment. It becomes your reflex. The reflex totally changes. The stimuli response conditioning changes. The total reflex changes. And like that's in the Bhagavad Gita that we were indicating, it has been indicated that Kurmongani Vasarvasha, this Yadasangharate Chayam, Kurmonga, just like, like the tortoise, that the all the limbs are withdrawn when they find anything uh, is any peril, any danger in front of them. So for Sthita Pragya, the one who is established in his steadfast, in his pragya, in his wisdom, one who is steadfast in his wisdom, for him, there's no question of being lured. It is not just simply mental detachment. Even physically, you get withdrawn from it. There's no question of being in its presence, even physically. And that speaks of the result which ensues from the practice of pratyahara. It actually, how to practice it? It has been, it is actually the practice of mindfulness, objective mindfulness. That I, with my mind, I see the working of the mind. I constantly go on seeing, seeing it. I'm observing you. Just to know, you know how the small child calms down. It's making a lot of, uh, what is this restless child is making, uh, just wrecking the house, everything because of its restlessness. Just breaking the things, running hither and thither. And then the mother finding the child so restless comes and just instead of scolding, just says, well, what are you doing? I just, I'm observing, I'm just seeing. She says two, three times and the child becomes calm. Well, I'm observing, I'm observing. So our mind is like that restless child. And like that mother, we have to constantly go on cajoling. Don't try to forcefully stop it. I'm observing. Just with that detached observance, you will find that the, all the, this mind is gradually getting calmed down. So there's a nice incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda in Varanasi, when he was coming out of the Durga temple and he was passing through a narrow road. On one side, there was a very tall wall, very high wall. And on the other side, there was a reservoir. The road was very narrow. And suddenly he felt something is chasing him. Is almost on his hills. He looked back and found a pack of monkeys. He started running. The monkeys still chased Comas, just ran after him, was still, they were almost on his knees, on his hills. And he became frantic. He never knew what to do. And suddenly he heard an old monk shouting, stop, face the brutes. So immediately he stopped, turned around, and he found the monkeys also stopped. And they were just staring. Both were staring at each other. And then a wonderful thing happened. This monkey started receding, going back. And Swami Vivekananda, this, uh, this, this, remembering these incidents, he used to say, I learned the lesson of life. Stop, face the brutes. That's the way of practicing Pratyahara. That my mind is getting disturbed with so many things which has happened in my office. Or I had some quarrel with my 
colleagues and my mind is getting disturbed, full of anger. To forget that, I open the TV to get distracted. That is running away. Don't run away. Run into the problem, not run away from the problem. Stop. Face. When you face what will happen, you will find constantly all your emotions, feelings are constantly being fed either by the past or by the future. But why your mind is turmoiled? Because you're thinking what has happened. Why your mind is turmoiled? You're planning what I will just as a revenge say him when I go back tomorrow in the office. So it is getting constantly fed by the past and the future. Be objective. Just observe. Yes, I don't, I don't run away from you. Anger, I see you, but at the same time, I won't allow you to be fed by the past and the future. Detach them from them. You will find it cannot stay. The more, the more you can practice to be in the present, all the emotions, just like camphor, it vanishes. It's no more there. And even in the modern psychology, they speak of RAIN acronym. R-A-I-N. That don't run away. Run into the, the, the cause of turmoil of your mind. Recognize it. That what type of emotion it is, anger, lust, whatever it may be, recognize. And then accept. A is accept. Rain, R-A-I-N is acronym. Rain, recognize it. What's the emotion? Accept it. Investigate its nature. If you investigate, immediately you will find that whatever may be the emotions, it is constantly being fed by the past and the future. And then negate N. Stop that. It's gone. Even in modern psych, this you will find that when to describe the practice of mindfulness, they're using the train acronym. And that's the thing which is being indicated uh, in this sutra when they're speaking of the practice of pratyahara. That I can, cannot immediately detach. I may detach my sense organs, but the mind may still go on thinking. What to do? How to get rid of it? This is a practice of this detached mindfulness. And with the help of this RAIN acronym, which we have used. And then you will find gradually you are becoming more and more established in Pratyahara. So I cannot start my meditation, focused meditation immediately. Swami Vivekananda, that's why he is resorting to both. First mindfulness and then to the meditation. Actually in Buddhism, the mindfulness has been given so much importance. But we forget that even in Buddhism, of the eight practices, the last two is this correct mindfulness and the last is correct meditation. It doesn't stop with mindfulness, but because of its therapeutic nature in the modern day, that mindfulness alone has been given importance. We forget about the focus. So Pratyahara speaks of that mindfulness. Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. Once you get established in this mindfulness, now comes the question of focusing the mind on something to leading, leading you to the ultimate spiritual realization. This dharana, dhyana, samadhi together is being termed as sangyama. So what its idea behind it, that with that, the third chapter we will start. So with this, we conclude the second chapter. From the next class, we will start the third chapter and we will uh, with the discussion of the dharana, dhyana and samadhi. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.